Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Greetings and welcome to episode 280 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. And my name is Barbara. What's happening, Barb? How are you on this beautiful Friday? You know how I am. I really don't. It's it's a it's a <laughs> roll of the dice sometimes. <laughs> well, we we have no internet. Well, we had no internet at night dental, so you and I missed our podcast today because I couldn't record. Super busy, and I'm training my ass off. It's pretty much what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, there's no you and I missing. We connected with a whole family of people in the dental industry, and you just left <laughs> right before we started. It's just like. Barb's gone. <laughs> I, was like, I, couldn't, I couldn't text you. I couldn't call you. I tried to call you from the landline and I couldn't <laughs> freaking call you. I'm just like, oh my God, this is horrible. I hope he's continuing on. And then finally, my phone was at least let me text you. But yeah, we were down for a couple hours. Not good. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Was I was bad. like, all right, everybody. It looks like uh, Barb <laughs> fell off the planet. And they're like, yeah. oh. <laughs> I hope you knew it wasn't intentional at all. No, of course crazy. not. Of it never course. happened. Like it that was like before. the worst timing possible. No. <laughs> so how are you? You good? I'm doing good. I'm actually in a, in a really good place. I'm really just kind of out and about a lot, helping a lot of dentists, doing what I love to do. I have a chance to present again for the lab, working on a project of doing digital dentures now that I've worked with a lot of offices to kind of get them on board. And Nice. Honestly, I'm stoked to get up and speak again. It's been a hot minute. Yeah, well, you're good at it, so I'm, I'm glad you're doing it. That's great. Yeah, I appreciate that. Speaking of events, we have our next show coming up, and it's coming up real fast. Barb and I, we're going to be attending and recording at the next DTG Symposium. I know. I'm super looking forward to that. That's going to be great. It's in September. It's in September, and it's also in like a suburb of Chicago, which is kind of cool. So it's close to you. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, okay. So we've had a lot of DTG members on this podcast in the past, and this is our chance to hopefully record a few more of them and have them on the podcast. So this event is happening September 15th to the 16th. And this is kind of cool at the GC America facility in Allsip, Illinois. Like I mentioned, that's just outside of Chicago. I'm kind of excited to check out the GC America facility. I am too. They make some good products. So there's an amazing lineup of speakers from all around the world. So this makes it a great chance to learn different techniques from some pretty extremely talented technicians. We have an upcoming episode where we actually talk to some of the speakers and learn more about the event. But if you're interested now, head over to dtgevents.com, check out the schedule, and you can register. But we have to tell you, you don't have to be a member of the DTG to go. A lot of people think that only members are invited. Everybody can go. You just have to love what you do. We're going to be there. Absolutely recording. We are in the month of the freaking triathlon. I say that very nice, but I am kind of tired of training. (laughs) Well, I don't know about you, but I'm training, eating right, and drinking lots of fluids, including, but not limited to, Prosecco, in order to raise money for the Foundation for Dental Laboratory Technology. That is a known beverage of all athletes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's less sugar and uh, so I've been switched to Prosecco this month. Well, kind of over just everything. But anyway, <laughs> on August 27th, we, Elvis and I, and a whole bunch of awesome people are participating in the Chicago Triathlon. I'm doing the whole thing, which you already know, and Elvis is running, which he loves, and letting Mark Williamson bike and Bobby Kenny swim. So just saying, stop by in your Starbucks for a week, Joe. Get your coffee at a gas station, and the $400 that you save, you can donate to us. So head over to Dental Lab Foundation. That's right, Dental Lab Foundation. Hi, guy.org. <laughs> Click donate now. You've got to choose Race for the Future and then type in either myself or the abutments or Voices from the Bench. Just help support our industry, y'all. Thank you. 
So this week, we are back to the good old hour-long interview where we're not at a dental show. Nice. Honestly, it's good to be back because this is when we get to dig deep into a subject. And this one is super exciting, at least for me. (laughs) When I started at Derby Dental Laboratories last fall, I had an opportunity to start doing chair-side conversions. Now, previously in, in, in my past lab, I presented, I sold, I treatment planned literally hundreds of these cases, but I never actually got to do the hands-on chair-side conversion. Isn't it bloody? It can be bloody. Yes, there's blood. Yes. Yes. I remember the first one I sat in, we actually talked to Dr. Nation. Remember him? And he was mm-hmm. all like, now Elvis, if you get a little woozy, feel free to sit down. <laughs> I would be passing out just... Uh, just being honest. So even the first time I did a chairside conversion, I was observing Phil from the lab and the surgeon, and they used a system called the Smart Denture Conversions. The whole process and all of its pieces were new, but pretty interesting to me. So after assisting on a few, I started doing them on my own. At this point, I can't imagine doing a conversion any other way except with the smart denture conversion. And it was actually pure luck that somebody from SDC reached out to us on Instagram and helped make this conversation happen. This is when we found out about the prostodontist behind the system, Dr. Brandon Coford. Dr. Coford comes on to talk about his journey in the dentistry with his time in the Air Force, how he needed to create the SDC system, getting the parts designed and made, and how someone can take a usual all-day double-arch conversion and do it in just a few hours. It's a really neat system that I can say firsthand not only makes my job easier, but makes a better prosthetic and also makes me look like a rock star. So join us as we chat with Dr. Brandon Coford. If you are looking for a ceramic or sintering furnace and want an incredible deal, you guys, look no further. Ivoclar has their three ways to save promotion going on now. Connect with an Ivoclar sales representative today to learn about how you can save on a new furnace or you can email customer service at cs.us at ivoclar.com. And please tell them you heard it on the podcast to get free ground shipping by using the promo code 724. One of the hardest parts about getting new equipment is having to pay for shipping. No doubt. This is a huge deal. Those centering ovens, furnaces, those things are huge and heavy. I'll tell you what, that is so true because I ship pretty much every one of my cases out of state and it's a very expensive endeavor. So to get free ground shipping, guys, come on, let's go. 724. 724. 724. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. So we're super excited today. We have a prosthodontist, Barb's favorite in the dental industry, joining us today to talk about something I have a little bit of experience with, but I'm excited to learn more, smart denture conversions. Welcome, Dr. Brandon Coford. Coford. I already forgot. (laughs) Oh, no, you had it right. It's Coford. Coford, Dr. Co. Coford. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. No, absolutely. Super excited for this conversation. And now Barb becomes one of my favorite people because she even knows what a prosthodontist is. I do. Absolutely. (laughs) Much respect. And she loves them. (laughs) She loves working for them. She loves getting their work. She loves getting them on the phone. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, before we get into the whole smart denture conversion, which I'm going to nerd out hardcore on, I'm sure, but how did you become a prosthodontist? What did that path look like for you? Yeah. So in dental school, I thought I was going to be an endodontist. I thought I would be an oral surgeon. Then I went to my first you know, root canal. And I was like, oh, I can't do this. And then I went to my first <laughs> tooth extraction and just about passed out. I was like, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> so then I thought, you know, I went through all the specialties. And finally, in my fourth year, I had taken an Air Force scholarship to pay for dental school. I went to school in Cleveland, yeah. Ohio at the Case Western Reserve University, which was a, it's a private school. So it's expensive. And so the Air Force helped me cover those costs. 
And knowing that I was going to be going into military dentistry, I didn't really like the idea of just being stuck on the amalgam line, as we say. Yeah. So there was an opportunity to take or to go into the prosthodontics residency right out of dental school. It was the only specialty that was allowing that in the military. And I soon learned why. <laughs> but, you know, my fourth year of dental school, having spending more time with the prosthodontists and finally was seeing some more complex cases. And I would, I would take those to my preceptors and they would, you know, kind of look at it like, oh, I don't know, I, why don't you go talk to the prosthodontist about this? So I'd talk to the prosthodontist and I'd learn, you know, things that I did, hadn't even considered or hadn't even thought about. And, you know, I was close to the end of my dental school experience and I thought, ah, I need some additional training for sure. Mm. So I, I pursued that opportunity to go to the prosthodontics training in the Air Force right out of dental school. And so glad I did. It was an amazing experience. I'm surprised that if pulling a tooth kind of freaked you out that you got even into dental school. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because I, I went into dental school. My brother was already three years into dental school by the oh, time I decided to do yeah. it. So I didn't do any of the shadowing that I probably should have done. And, uh, you know, I did the bare minimum. And I learned a lot about what dentistry truly is in dental school, you know, because I, I went to dental school thinking that dentistry is seeing a patient for maybe a filling and, you know, checking their hygiene and stuff like that had no idea the level of complexity that dentists and dental specialists deal with. Oh, yeah. I was one of the masses who just really have no clue what dentistry is and what it can do. It's probably good you didn't shadow. We probably wouldn't be talking right now. That's probably <laughs> true. <laughs> just, uh, just for our listeners' sake, can you explain the difference to being a prosthodontist? So what is the, the difference between a prosthodontist versus a general dentist? Yeah, I mean, or yeah, or, actually. It's funny because a lot of my general dentistry colleagues, you know, they, they say, well, I can do everything that you can do. And I say, absolutely. There's nothing special about the person, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about the emphasis of, of study and the emphasis of practice and like practical experience, right? Mm -hmm. So prosthodontics residency, you just get a high level of concentration in all things tooth replacement, because that is what prosthodontics is, right? It's the specialty involved in replacing missing teeth and tooth structures. So mm -hmm. you got your crown and your bridge, you've got your implants, and you've got your partial and complete dentures and everything in between, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, what I was lacking out of dental school was a true understanding or a better understanding of occlusion. And I really wanted to be a competent with full arch dentistry. Now, that doesn't mean full arch fixed implant dentistry. It just means full arch dentistry. So one of the courses that I've, I'm putting together is called Full Arch Reconstruction on Teeth, Titanium, and Tissue. Wow. Because oh, all yeah. those principles, all those principles for, for dentures apply to fixed teeth and they apply to fixed on implants. So like that's what I got out of my residency was an, an understanding of how denture principles are used in everything from dentures to full arch crown and bridge to full arch fixed on implants. So that's been my particular area of interest within prosthodontics. But then there are just like fun and creative ways to prepare teeth for crowns and onlays and three-quarter crowns. And you just get a lot more exposure in residency than you do in dental school. So, hmm. and residency is just supervised learning, right? Right. Because everybody can learn these things. Sure. Yeah. It's hard to get the supervised learning in your private practice. Plus you don't spend all your time checking hygiene. You actually... Yeah. You know, more time doing those complex cases, which just makes you better over time, right? Yeah, I would say the amount of time that uh, a general dentist spends checking hygiene is probably the amount of time that I spend in the laboratory, right? So there's wow. there's just that yeah. that difference that's, right there. Wow. That's a, yeah, that's great. So when did you graduate? How long have you been in practice? I graduated dental school in, in 2008 and then did my pros residency, graduated that in 2011. And then th what was amazing was getting the three years of dental school paid for, sorry, they only had a three-year scholarship. So I had the three years of dental school paid for, 
three of the four years. Yeah. And then I went into a three-year residency program, but they accepted those three years of residency training as payback for the three years of dental school. Wow. So you got that for no charge too? That's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. So then to pay back the three years of residency, I just had to practice as a prosthodontist for three years in the Air Force, and they stationed me in England, which was an amazing assignment. Like, I love the Air Force. It was an amazing experience. I got so much out of it. And so I finished my commitment to the Air Force in 2014 and then came to North Carolina to private practice. Well, talk about that time in England real quick. Yeah. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I mean, is it, was it an American base that you worked on American soldiers or how did that work? Yeah. So it's actually, it's technically a United Kingdom base that the Americans lease. So it's owned by you uh, Royal Air Force, but the United yeah. States Air Force leases the the base. But yeah, I was just treating Americans and their dependents. A dependent is like their spouse and children. Sure. And so I had responsibility over the prosthodontic treatment for about twenty to thirty thousand active duty members and their dependents. Wow, that's a lot. And I also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously I wasn't doing all the treatment. I was just kind of over making sure that everything was done according to proper standards and procedures. Right. Yeah. And then I was also the flight commander for the dental laboratory on the fighter base that we were on. Damn. So I oversaw 10 technicians and that was an amazing experience. I've always had a special place in my heart for laboratory technicians because they are the unsung heroes of dentistry that make all of us, like pretty mediocre clinicians, look pretty amazing. You should have buttered up our audience earlier. Well, that's a very nice thing to say. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I appreciate that. Where is everybody listening? <laughs> well, I mean, and I'm not just saying that. It's it's yeah. actually true. Was all the lab work done at the base, or did you get to work with any labs in England or the UK? No. So we we pretty much did all of the laboratory work in house. But when when we needed additional help. Mm -hmm. There was what's called the area dental laboratory that was stationed in the, I think it was Frankfurt, Germany. So we could send overflow cases to that area dental laboratory when our base laboratory just got a little overrun or overwhelmed. And that was American or was that German technician? Also American. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've had, I had a friend that uh, worked at that laboratory. I can't, I can't remember. Just in passing, uh, when you said that to me, somebody that I work with, Sammy Pincus was in the military and worked at that, at that lab in Frankfurt. Small world. Yeah. And I tell you what, the Air Force laboratory training, the Air Force prosthodontics training is just amazing. Oh yeah. It's, It's so good. We've talked to so many technicians that learned it that way, and they're all just wonderful technicians. Oh, yeah. Well, it was fun because I also own a laboratory here locally, and we, I bought it from a previous owner. And when I came into the laboratory, I saw the Air Force training materials in their possession. So, mm. I mean, that's just how good the training materials are that they're used outside of the Air Force in civilian laboratories to learn these very, very sound laboratory principles, lab, dental laboratory principles. Yeah, and it still holds true in all this digital. I mean, all yeah, that absolutely. stuff is still, still very good. You did your time in England and then mm-hmm. came back and then what? Yeah, so I have six children with my wife. And six kids? Idea, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it took us a while to figure out what was going on, but we finally figured it out. We got oh, I think I know what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> we finally got that under control. <laughs> but the idea of uprooting six children every three to four years, as much as we love the Air Force, and I, I really mean that sincerely, we love yeah. the Air Force, but as much as we do, the idea of uprooting the family every three to four years to yeah. uh, was too disruptive. That's not how we wanted to raise the kids. So sure. we d- settled on North Carolina because my wife's only sister, she, my wife's the oldest of seven children, but there's only two girls in the sibling group. And so her only sister was living here in North Carolina and has a similar family makeup to us, six children as well, pretty much the same age group. You guys are half the population, your family. Yeah, exactly. 
You should see family gatherings. It is all about the Coford and Del Bianco troop. <laughs> so that's how we d- we decided yeah. to get out of the Air Force. And that's why we ended up in North Carolina. And then three of my buddies from the Air Force, we actually left together and started a group practice here in North Carolina and grew that to about seven locations at its, wow. at its heyday. Yeah. And they're all in North Carolina, those seven locations? Yeah. Yep. So do you work back and forth to uh, at all seven or do you guys just each run one of those? Yeah. So we were each just running our own. So we only practiced out of our location and then we had some associates running some remote locations. Wow. But we've since we've since kind of offloaded those remote locations and have just focused on our own core practices. So currently you're just out of one right now. Right. Yep. I'm just in the, the prosthodontics practice. Yep. Okay. And loving it. Yeah. I bet. Able to focus more on clinical rather than business. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I love I love the clinical side of dentistry. The business side of dentistry just drives me nuts. Yeah. yeah I can understand. That. It's it's rewarding, don't get me wrong. It's rewarding, but I definitely get my fulfillment and satisfaction out of the clinical side. So the patients that you work on are, are most of them or all of them referred to you? One way or another, whether it's self-referred or referred by another patient or referred by another specialist, we don't get a whole lot of referrals from, I mean, we do get some from our general dentist colleagues, but um, mostly what we do for our general dentist colleagues is providing just like some support and maybe some guidance through some complex cases, which we're happy to do. Yeah. So most everything you see is like a a full reconstruction, complex occlusion, you know, different issues like that, where they come to you at your level to help the patient solve? Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, a lot of times when we do finally get a referral is when they may just be at their wits end trying to get this patient happy. And for example, just a real, and this might be a lead in into the smart interest. Yeah, absolutely. I taught this very, very, very skilled GP here in my area, uh, Smart Entry Conversions. And he was struggling with a patient just meeting her aesthetic expectations. And so he asked, would you please just take a look at her? And I said, absolutely, send her my way. So she comes into the practice and she tells me about this miserable two-year experience where they keep trying things and it's just not right. It's just not right. It's just not right. And so she's frustrated. Unfortunately, the clinician's frustrated and both of them just want to be done, right? Mm. Yes. And so I evaluate it and come to find out the clinician had been doing things very, very well. Like he is a very skilled clinician, but he just missed one little thing that made all the difference to this patient. And that was the multi-unit abutment selection. He overcorrected the angle correction and that was causing all of the problems that the patient was experiencing. So instead of paralleling them, he went the other direction? No, he did parallel them. Nah. That's bad? That's what was causing the problem. Yeah. So, uh, so, and I don't, it's not bad, right? So the conventional way of doing conversions mm-hmm. is you use your multi-unit abutments to parallel your temporary cylinders. Why, why do we do that? Path of draw? Path of draw of what? You're absolutely right, Elvis. What path of draw of what? The prosthesis. What prosthesis? The the hybrid, the full zirconia, whatever it's going to be. Right. So that's the beautiful thing about the multi-unit abutment. The multi-unit abutment has like a 45 degree taper on it. Uh-huh. So you don't have to like go back to your crown and bridge principles where, you know, if you have a six degree taper, then you have to be absolutely perfectly parallel, right? Yep. Uh-huh. But with a 45-degree taper, now you can have divergence of your abutments, significant divergence of your abutments. So the multi-unit abutment angle correction to be parallel for the temp cylinders is actually to have a path of draw of the denture that's going to be converted. Mm -hmm. So the amount of destruction that we have to do to the actual denture is minimized if you have your temp cylinders paralleled. 
Oh yeah, because if yeah. you don't, those, those holes are pretty big. <laughs> they and they get and they get bigger and bigger with the amount of divergence that you have. For right? sure, especially if you're using tall exactly. cylinders. Exactly right, and so I don't want to say that it's incorrect to parallel your multi-unit abutments. It, that's how it's taught with conventional conversions, but with smart denture conversions, because of the low-profile nature of the componentry and not having to maintain access to the screw, you don't need have a, a path of draw for the provisional prosthesis or the, the denture that you're converting. So you can use your multi-unit abutments to direct your screw channels to the cingulum of the anteriors and the occlusal table of the posteriors regardless of parallelism or divergence. And what that does is it optimizes the intaglio contours of the prosthesis. Mm-hmm. And, and so in this particular case with this patient, All I did was I changed his 30-degree multi-unit abutment in the posterior and 17-degree multi-unit abutment in the anterior left. So both of these were on the left. Yeah. I just changed them so that they would direct the screw channel to the occlusal table of the posterior tooth and the cingulum of the anterior tooth. And just making that one change and obviously modifying the prosthesis to accommodate the new multi-unit abutment positioning. Yeah. But just in making that small change, all of a sudden, this patient was totally satisfied, happy. And it was easy to get to the final restoration. So what was the patient's complaint to begin with? It it didn't fit or? No. So the multi-unit abutment has a long wall and a short wall, right? On angled ones, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So on the angled uh, 30-degree in the anterior that he had used, she was showing a little bit of metal when she smiled. So I had room to change that 30 degree into, I think it was a straight. No, Mm. no, it was a 17 in the anterior. So I changed it to a straight, got that into the cingulum of the, of the canine and that long wall now wasn't visible in her smile. And it changed that, that aesthetics. Interesting. My first thought is there wasn't enough vertical clearance to begin with. Oh, no, no. She, there was plenty of, like I said. Because if you're showing metal. <laughs> no, it was just because of the gingival recession around that long wall. Interesting. Yeah, so, but that, that little change made all the difference in the world to her. So where I was going is as a prosthodontist, a lot of times we do get patients who have been through a long process already. Yeah. And they already have treatment fatigue. Yeah. And so by the time they come to see me, they, they just... They hate me to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that's going to be tough on your psyche. Well, yeah, it it can be. (laughs) They probably walk in saying, this is it. Yeah, and and, uh, oftentimes they come in mad at me for how long it's taken them to get through treatment. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm just meeting you for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) The smart denture conversion, you've hit on this a little bit now. So I want to back up and talk about your experiences with traditional conversion. So this is basically, we're talking about all on four. That's the generic term everyone's been using for years. Which we know Elvis knows a lot more than Barbara about. So this should be interesting. Yeah. (laughs) And, and we know that all on four, it's, that's the Nobel brand. So, you know, generically all on X, but how did you get into it? When did you get into it? Talk a little bit about those experiences and what led you to get the smart denture conversion. That's great. You know, you can imagine as an Air Force prosthodontist, my patient population was not really needing a lot of all-on-four or all-on-X treatment. So I had very limited exposure to the actual treatment. Obviously, I knew the concepts and I knew the treatment option, but I had mm-hmm. very limited exposure to providing that treatment as a an Air Force prosthodontist. Were they doing a lot of implants? Yeah, but we would, so we were doing more single unit implants or like partial edentialism. Yep. So, and the, the purpose of dentistry in the military is to just make sure that our fighting forces are not going to be fighting dental problems at the same time that they're fighting the enemy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a lot of one tooth dentistry? Yeah. Or, and, and very high quality. Sure. Yeah industry but but yeah it's it's not it's not like rip them out and give them a pretty smile it's okay well if you need to remove your teeth let's remove your teeth and give you a denture because that'll be the easiest something easy to maintain 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and that being said, we did do full arch treatment in the Air Force, but the all on four concept was pretty new at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. We weren't doing it and we definitely weren't proficient at it. So all of my all on four, all on X knowledge and experience came after the Air Force. So I was learning on the fly. And so I had to learn, okay, how do you provisionalize these things? Yeah. And so I learned how to do a conventional conversion just by going to the internet and watching some (laughs) YouTube videos. Good old YouTube education. YouTube university, right? Did you have a lab come in and do a conversion for you at all? Uh, no, no, I was just doing it myself. Wow. Mm. We don't like to hear that. <laughs> no, so, so, so I, right. I'm sure you don't, but because of me owning that headache, it motivated me for wanting to find a better way, an easier way that a guy like me could get it done. So I am not like the world's most gifted clinician. I will readily admit that. I tell my patients all the time, listen, I don't always get it right the first time, but I always get it right. If you just give me enough time. (laughs) (laughs) Might be a few foul balls, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there for sure. (laughs) So, you know, it it took me probably three or four hours to do conventional conversions the way I learned to do the intraoral pickup of all the cylinders intraorally Mm -hmm. and then go to the laboratory, add your intaglio contours and cut your flanges and polish everything up and blah and just cross your fingers and pray to whatever god you believe in <laughs> that it fits yeah. that it fits and that it won't break on you yeah before you can replace it with the final restoration yeah that was that was my exposure and i i, I remember i probably only did six or seven conversions the conventional way before i thought to myself there has got to be a better way to do this And, you know, those of you who have gone on to the more digital workflows, you know, we're in the, we're like like like-minded people. We were just looking for a better way to avoid mutilating this denture that would likely not survive this osseointegration period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they never looked great because you're mixing acrylics and it just, they look like they were destroyed and put back together (laughs) yeah exactly so and to that point elvis when i was in the air force in my training program my program director he made it very clear that your provisional restorations define you like they oh Oh, yeah and so so by me not bringing in a technician to make these provisional restorations it was very obvious who i was (laughs) because i you actually made the immediate denture yeah, I would make the immediate denture. Oh, I would wow. make the, wow. I would do the conversion myself, and and it looked like it had been destroyed and put back together again. <laughs> and so I just needed to find a better way. That is a long day for you if you're going to do extractions and implants and the conversion. Yeah, so that's the difference there. I was not trained surgically, right? So. I wasn't doing the the surgical aspect of treatment. I was only doing the restorative aspect. Oh, of treatment. you brought in an oral surgeon. I would go to the oral surgeon. You became yeah. a lab tech. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was the traveling lab tech. Interesting. And it was just a, a just a pain, and I I hated it because it made me look totally incompetent to everybody. Now you know how it feels when the oral surgeon's standing over you, waiting for that thing. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sutured. I'm ready to go. I need to get this patient back. Yeah, exactly. And they were making fun of me that, oh my gosh, I can do all this surgery in half the <laughs> amount of time it takes you to make a dumb provisional. <laughs> and so, you know, I have this like complex now, this inferiority <laughs> complex, but I am so slow. I'm the worst. <laughs> I've been standing over that lathe, just sweating bullets with the surgeon standing behind me, just kind of looking at his watch you're like ah, i'm working on it i'm working on it yeah like oh i'll be done when i'm done dang it <laughs> uh, so anyway one day i was struggling with this all on six mandibular prosthesis on this like eight, sweet 80 year old patient but she was yeah. she was sedated and out of her mind and just trying to get my multi-unit abutments in place took an hour and and it was already after 
my office hours were over. So the office is supposed to be closed and all I have are my multi-unit abutments in place. I haven't even started the conversion. Mm. And so I'm doing this all on six and uh, just struggling through it and finished around eight o'clock at night. Oh, wow. And, you know, called my wife at like five o'clock, said, sorry, don't don't wait for me for dinner. Don't wait for me to put the kids to bed. I'll be home when I'm I'll be here all night. (laughs) And she's like, I thought you were done with residency. Uh, (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, it was a miserable experience, but I'll forever be grateful for it because it was that experience. And I think it was July of 2016. It was that experience where I thought this would be so much easier if it was just like an overdenture pickup. Hmm. Yeah. Um, right? Because I, yeah. I don't sweat at all for those things. 30 minutes, boom, I'm done. Yeah, those are yeah a lot easier. Right. So I thought through that process and I said, well, why can't it be just like a locate, like an overdenture pickup? Sorry to name drop, but how, why can't it be just like an overdenture pickup? And... So I thought through that process and I said in my head, the only thing that holds that temporary cylinder to the multi-unit abutment is the head of the screw, mm-hmm. right? Because yep. there's an internal lip on that temp cylinder. The head of the screw holds, clamps that inner lip down. So what if I made the head like a screw where the head separates from the threads with a certain amount of force, just like an overdenture component. Hmm. And then if I did that, after the fact, in the laboratory, I could create a very precise screw channel, create a pilot hole through the bottom of the tie base, and then come down that pilot hole and expand it to just the right size for the screw and have a very precise screw channel. How did you wrap your head around making a screw that's breakable? Because like, we spend our lives not wanting to break screws. Exactly, right? (laughs) I remember when the lab I'm at now showed me the video of these. Like, this is what we use a lot. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, wait a minute, did you just break that screw? Yeah. What the the hell? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Congratulations. You just just invented what everybody hates and dreads. The dreaded (laughs) broken screw. How do you break the screw? Well, so I do have to draw a distinction here because there is a significant difference between separating the head of a separable fastener uh-huh. and breaking the head off of a screw. Gotcha. So, so we're not breaking it. We're just it feels separate. the same to me, dude. Yeah. It, 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 the in, important distinction there is that when you break something, you don't have control over what remains. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So here we have a controlled separation where what remains behind has a post that we can grab onto with other instruments to then remove it very easily. Right. With a broken screw, you don't have any control over where it breaks or how you're going to retrieve that broken fragment. And so that's the cool thing about smart denture conversion separable fastener is The head separates, but the thread that stays behind, great. We're going to use that for a brief moment while we're in the laboratory. We put a new screw head onto that fragment that's in the multi-unit abutment. We call it a press-on cap. It just presses on and acts like a healing abutment. So then if you're doing the pickup prior to suturing, then great. You can suture around that. If you do your pickup after suturing, great. This will just keep the tissue off of your multi-unit abutment while you're in the laboratory doing your thing. So you reassemble the separable fastener with a new head. Huh. And then in the laboratory, rather than having to create your screw channel first thing so that you can like protect the tie bases with like polishing protectors. Mm -hmm. Well, we can just snap a component into the fragment that stayed in the in the tie base. Hmm. So it's just a very efficient workflow because we're not having to screw and unscrew things. It's just push, 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 go right about your business. So when you came up with this, like, did you have to find a company and pitch pitch to them like your idea and how to how to get that all done? Right. So no, I didn't. What happened was. I had the idea in 2016, but for two years, I had no idea what to do with an idea. And so I was called by my periodontist to come do a chairside consult for a patient who had a history of oral cancer and was now missing a significant portion of his mandible 
He was only missing teeth number 28, 29, and 30, but a significant vertical component of his mandible. So the periodontist wasn't quite sure what, what kind of restorative options this patient was a candidate for. Mm-hmm. So I came to his office. I do this chairside consult with this patient, and he's a really cool, like, 60, mid-60-year-old here in North Carolina, just a really down-to-earth country guy. And in talking to him, I found out that he's also a genius, like literally a genius. He used to work for Ericsson and IBM in their material science divisions and in their uh, prototyping laboratories. So for the last 15 years, he's had his own prototyping business. Oh, wow. And does a ton of prototyping for the electronics industry. Wow. And when I found out that he had prototyping business, I asked him, all of a sudden, the, the consultation became about me and not about him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to you eventually. Yeah. But... <laughs> well, so I'll admit, this was back in 2018. We still have not addressed his concerns. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So... Uh, we're sitting there in that chairside console, and all of a sudden I say, oh, my gosh, can you make a small screw? And he said he could. And I said, I mean, like a really small screw. And he said, Brandon, I do prototyping for the electronics industry. I know what small is. What yeah. do you want? And so I described the separating action of the screw head from the threads. He's, like you said, Elvis, uh, that kind of defeats the purpose of a screw. Yeah. <laughs> you and I said, well, I get that. So I described the conventional way of doing these conversions and why it was such a headache for me. And he thought about the merits of having this separating head from a th- screw thread. And he thought, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense. That would be a fun project. You want to work on it together? Hmm. And I said, do I ever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back in August of 2018, it was like I was in residency again. I would work in the clinic from 7.30 in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon. And then uh, I'd say to my wife, don't expect me anytime soon tonight. And I'd go to his workshop and we would prototype, make things. And, and I'd get ready for a surgery to try it on the next day. And wow. uh, it was just an amazing experience. And he and I have, were, were partners in this. And he had a, a, a friend out in Washington State who did a lot of patenting work. And so he, he said, you know, if you think this is valuable, you might want to protect it with some patent protection. And I, cause I, to this point, I thought I was just making something that made me a better clinician in my own practice. I had no idea that this was going to be going throughout the country. And, you know, we're working on taking this into other markets outside of the United States. So this is becoming a, a really, really good solution for more than just me and my practice. And luckily, he had the foresight to to see that. So you you seriously, this whole idea was just for yourself? Oh, absolutely. I I had no expectation that this would ever that anybody would ever know who Brandon Coford was or what the separable fastener was. I thought I was just making something that would give me a competitive edge in my area of the world. Right. Wow. That's kind of funny because this thing has exploded. Yeah. So how does that happen? If it's just for you and it's you and your brain, how does it explode like it did? How do people find out about it? Yeah. So I, I'm a nobody, but I, I, I know somebody's. Ah. <laughs> I don't and, think you're a nobody, but okay, I'll take it. During the prototyping period where I was just trying to learn if this even had any potential to go beyond my practice, I gave it to Nate Farley. In, in its pure prototype form, right? So we're yeah. talking totally unpolished, not unpolished metal, but I'm saying like not a, not a complete workflow. Not not complete, yeah. Yeah. Very not it wasn't finesse. sexy yet. Yeah. I get yeah. you. Not at all. <laughs> so I put it in the hands of Nate Farley and he, he loved it. He said, yeah, this is, this is great. This has some potential. You know, Nate Farley has a, a presence on social media and, um, he's good friends with a lot of other people who have presence on social media, like Justin McElroy out of Midwest Dental Arts, in yep. Florida. He was one of our earliest adopters because immediately he said, no, this is amazing. Hmm. So he was Got it. influential in spreading the good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think, Barb, you asked earlier, uh, did you take this to companies? Yeah to try to get it done. Yeah. No implant. I've learned that no implant company is looking for a research project. Uh, 
they are looking for immediate revenue sources. Interesting. And, and so when I went to some big name implant companies with my prototypes, they weren't interested at all. In fact, one company said, thank you for your submission, your idea submission. But as a business strategy, we are interested in hardware and consumables, not in procedures. Wow. Dumb asses. <laughs> well, yeah. And if you knew which implant company that was, you would, you would just like be dumbfounded. That they were so clueless. Yeah. I'm guessing it starts with an S and ends with an um. Well, they were one of them, but no, I would, you know, there are some very noble implant companies out there. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> with good intentions, but they just can't see the forest through the trees. They're all going to be trying to copy this. I know it. Yeah, yeah. We have a patent? We do have a patent. Okay, it's a cool. Pretty, it's a pretty yeah. strong patent. It's actually a very strong patent. Good. You're going to need it. <laughs> you know that there will be copycats. Sure. That's the way the implant industry works. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we did take it to implant companies, but they just, they, they couldn't understand yeah. it. And so that's when it became apparent that I was going to have to bring this to the market if we were going to bring it to the market. And so just with some, some bootstrap efforts, we introduced it at the ACP meeting in 2019 with some mm -hmm. Uh, you know, some limited success and just persisted and persisted in teaching my prosthodontics colleagues about how they could just improve their own lives by simplifying their approach to this otherwise very, very cumbersome procedure. So let me ask you a question. So you do the um, conversions yourself and this whole process yourself. Does most of the other prosthodontics actually have a technician doing this part? And if so, did they change to where now they've taken it over? Yeah. So I thought most prosthodontists were like me, just doing it themselves. Mm -hmm. But I've learned, no, I was wrong. Most are having technicians come in and take take this on. Right. So I right. thought I was solving a headache for the prosthodontist, when in fact, yeah. I was solving the headache for the technician. Yeah, that's how I'm putting it together anyways. I'm sure they love you. I can raise my hand and agree. I've done both. and uh... Really? This smart denture conversion is absolutely 100% the way to go. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I, I believe that. But there are other technicians. It's so funny that the resistance that I, I, oh. I run into. <laughs> From us? Come on. No way. Welcome to we the industry. Change. Yeah, I <laughs> know. It, it's, it's been really interesting because like technicians, they're afraid that they're going to lose their place in this process. Right. And so they are resistant to smart denture conversions because they think that because smart denture conversions is easier, is faster, that now they're not going to be needed. And I, I just don't think that's true at all. Right. There, there are very oh. few surgeons. There are very few restorative doctors who want to do this procedure. Mm -hmm. Yep. So this is just a way to make your life easier and also make you look like a pretty incredible technician because yeah. the result the end result of a smart edge conversion compared to the end result of a conventional conversion, time is one thing, but the quality mm -hmm. is a completely other thing. And that's one of the main advantages to smart edge conversions is just how much better the prosthesis ends up being. Mm -hmm. Well, a perspective of a smaller lab that might not have technicians that only do conversions. When someone went out and did a conversion traditionally, you're out all day. Yeah. Five hours at least, it seems like. These smart denture conversions, you're two hours, maybe. Wow. If, yeah. If you know the surgeon well, you can show up. You don't have to be there during placement. You just show up and bam. I mean, you're done by 11. When it used yeah. to be, we're done at three. Wow. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so you also think about the distance that you might have to travel to go do the chairside support. Mm-hmm. So you really can't expect to have your technicians traveling maybe two or three hours out of their way, spend four or five hours in the, in the practice, and then still have a two to three hour commute back. Sure. Right? That's, wow. that's just not a very good solution. But, you know, I know some technicians in the Rhode Island area who have that. They're traveling two hours to go do some chairside support, and then they have a two-hour commute back. So smart engine conversions, what that means to them is 
they're done in like less than an hour hmm. and back on the road going back home. Yeah. I'm sure you could get it down to less than an hour. I haven't done enough that I can do that, but I'm oh, sure you yeah. could. Yeah. Well, let's, let's just put it this way. So I team up with an oral surgeon for a lot of these cases, and we do a double arch surgery where we're doing extractions, alveoplasty, placing implants, multi-unit abutment selection, picking up the prosthesis, converting the prosthesis, and delivering the prosthesis. We're doing that in under three hours total. Wow. And just think of the patient. Exactly. You mentioned earlier there one that you ended at 8 p.m. God, I remember our old technician. There'd be times he'd call me at 6 o'clock at night. He's like, I'm done. You're like, really? Can yeah. you imagine just the patient having to sit through that? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a lot of these patients who need this type of treatment, they are also traveling two hours. Mm, good point. Wow. Yeah. And so if they don't get to get home to their comfortable place for another two hours, I mean, that's just a miserable, miserable day for them. So yeah, there is huge, huge value in reducing the amount of chair time for everybody. It really is. Coming near the end of our conversation, I'd like to really walk through real quick the whole process, because I don't think we really touched how it really works and how it benefits. So implants place, and it's the separator, the breakable screw you put in, or the tie base? The tie base goes on with the breakable screw through it, right? Correct. Yeah. And then basically, you hollow out a denture, fill it with your acrylic, and you're picking up those tie bases. Yeah, it's very much like as if you were doing a, an overdenture pickup. At that point, there's no holes through the prosthesis. Correct. Yeah. Just enough space that accommodates the parts you're picking up, which are five millimeters tall. Yeah, which is what? That's less than a locator and a housing. I think a locator housing is three millimeters tall. But with the abutment and everything, I think that's like five point something. So Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So that's why I say it is very much like a locator pickup or an overdenture chairside pickup. The componentry is very similar. Our tie bases, they have more aggressive undercuts, right? So mm -hmm. one common complication with like a locator housing oh, is sure. it yeah. will, it'll pop out of the denture base. But that's just because the, the undercuts on the housing are very, very fine. So to resolve that, we put very, very aggressive undercuts into our tie base. So dislodging just has not been an issue. And what about blocking out? Do we have to worry about locking in these dentures how, how does how do you usually handle that yeah so keep in mind i do my pickup before my surgeon sutures so it's an open flap oh, when wow. i do my pickup Oof. so i use a silicone dam so mm. it's not a not a rubber dam but it's a silicone dam why silicone oh it's so awesome first of all you can autoclave it so it can be sterile it has this beautiful surface texture that you can pick up against and it's just it's awesome for, for anybody who hasn't used the silicone dam material. I would rec highly recommend you try it. Nice. You yeah. No. Wow. Dammit.dental. No, dammitdental.com sells the dams that I use. Yeah. Um, That's pretty and, cool. I like that site. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really funny because he, he, you know, the tagline is for all your damn needs. <laughs> and, and when you get your receipt, it says, thank you for your damn business. That's awesome. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, using that silicone dam, it blocks out the surgical field beautifully and uh, protects any of the undercuts of the multi-unit abutment. Because yes, you are absolutely have to make sure that you don't lock on to yeah. the, the abutment. And you use just like quick set acrylic, right? To pick everything up? In fact, I do use quick set acrylic. Okay. Wow. Quick, quick set. So at that point, you wait the, what, six minutes or whatever it is? Yeah, quick set is only three minutes. Is so, it? Okay. Yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, you wait the three minutes, the acrylic sets. And then somebody has to pull that to the point where you break the screws. Right. But you're not breaking the screws. I know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You're Dislodging separating. Them. Separating them. <laughs> Expelling <laughs> the screw head. <laughs> what is it made of? Is it a peak? Yes. Is that what they're made out of? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the head is made out of peak and the threads are made out of stainless steel. So you break that. The peak head comes out with the denture and those threads are still in those multi-units. Right. So how, and then what, then... 
This is usually when I take the denture and leave. Yeah. So what the doctor will do then is he's going to push what we call a press-on cap. It's a mm-hmm. white cap that presses onto that fragment that stayed in the multi-unit abutment. Then if the tissue is already sutured, then that's just going to keep the tissue off the multi-unit abutment. Sure. If you're doing an open flap pickup like I do, then the surgeon will just suture around these press-on caps. And then when I come back ready to deliver the prosthesis, I unscrew that cap and the fragment comes out with it. How does it grab it? Yeah, just friction. Really? It's just a pressure press fit junction. And it grabs it every time? Yeah. Interesting. I always worried about it wouldn't work or wouldn't grab it or... Yeah, no, it's very, very reliable. Okay. So hopefully the technician has the denture at this point and there's a series of drills. How did we come up with these drills? I mean, it's, it works. Right. This was going back to a technique I was taught in the Air Force when I did my one and only hybrid prosthesis Mm -hmm. in my residency. It was a gold bar and I processed acrylic and denture teeth to the gold bar. And my instructors said, hey, make your life easier and only screw the bar down with one screw in the easiest place it's going to be to find it. Interesting. So, okay. So we blocked out the rest of the screw channels just with like a little bit of acrylic so that when we processed acrylic, acrylic wouldn't get down in the screw channel. Oh, I get you. Yep. Okay. And then I processed the, the denture, or sorry, the hybrid. Then I unscrewed that one screw and then flipped the bar over and then used a 1.5 millimeter pilot drill, like mm-hmm. an implant pilot drill to create my pilot hole. Hmm. And then I just used a round burr to go down that pilot hole to expand the diameter so that I could get a screw in there. And that's how I was able to easily process my hybrid and have these very precise screw holes without having to modify the denture tooth before I process the acrylic. The old method is you're trying to find the hole and you're just making a hole bigger and bigger and bigger until you get it. Mm -hmm. But with this method, you take that pilot drill from the intaglio surface through that tie base and it goes through and puts exactly where the hole is. Right. And then I'm explaining that, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so then we have a three thirty seconds drill. And we've ground the tip of that down so that it matches the diameter of that pilot hole. Yep. So so it just follows that pilot hole until you bottom out on the top of the tie base, not the inside of the tie base, but the top of the tie base. Hmm. So you're not going to damage the inside of the tie base. I can Um, still do it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) You you can mess anything up if you're negligent enough, right? So you bottom out on the top of that tie base. And then we have this workflow with a hand instrument called a pin vise that holds a, I think it's a number 55 or number 45 drill. Yep. And you go down there and you just create the pathway for that head, that peak head to be free and clear to come out the screw channel. Because you can't screw this down if the peak component is still inside the tie base. To me, that's the hardest part of the whole thing. And you're not alone. That is the feedback we get yeah. from everyone. You have the outside of the peak screw head still in there. You've already drilled through it. Right. So you can still look through your screw hole and it's like, well, it's clear, but you kind of see this little peak head outline in there. Yep. Now you got to get it out. <laughs> right. right. And so there are tips and tricks. This is really, really easy, but it, it does require a little bit of a feel. Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. It does. So we teach and there's online resources that teach what we call the five times five rule, which is how you're using that hand instrument to just quickly create the pathway that you can push that head right out through the hmm. uh, screw channel. Wow. So, so it is one of these things where we don't recommend that you try this out on your patient without ever having done your research. Yeah. Yeah, you guys provide a pretty nice kit you can get to practice on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there, we have this training kit where you can, it comes with all the components you're going to need for your actual case. It also has the, uh, a model, a denture, 
and the extra components you would need to do your, your own pickup on this model and, and practice and get the muscle memory required to be able to do this very efficiently. Yeah. But anyways, back to the thing. Once you get the peak head out, now you're just taking some time with a little bit of acrylic, patching up any holes, cutting off all your flanges, and just finishing it like you traditionally would. Yeah, I mean, I would. you could do it that way. I always save the creation of the screw channels until the very end. Well, yeah, so, I did too, yeah. So what I do is I cut my flanges, I contour it, you know, do my bulk contouring or bulk yep. reduction, and then I see how much more acrylic do I need to add to my intaglio to establish these convex contours and mm-hmm. fill in any kind of voids that I may have gotten in the pickup. So I'll, I'll do my recontouring, polish it up. I'll use a glaze to give it a nice surface texture. Uh, just a light cure glaze. Like yeah, you fancy glaze. it up. <laughs> I have a reputation. I'm just kidding. Yeah. And then once I've done all of that, that's when I'll create my screw channel. Yeah, I did do that at the end. I was taught that way too. Yeah. You have them for every implant system, right? Well, that's the dirty little secret about multi-unit abutments. They're pretty much all the same. There are a few exceptions. There are a few exceptions. Let's see here. Like Astra TX, they don't have a very good multi-unit abutment. So I get get my multi-unit abutments for Astra TX from DES. Mm -hmm. Because DES, the multi-unit abutment has the same restorative platform for all of their implant connections, whether it's Nobel, Strauman, Astra, et cetera, et cetera. Then MIS, I think they have a slightly wider diameter prosthetic screw. Yeah. So so our separable fastener doesn't fit into the MIS screw channel. Zimmer, the Zimmer tapered screw vent multi-unit is a unique shape. Uh, so we don't quite have one for them yet, but we are working on that. Okay, good. That's a popular implant. Yeah, yeah. And uh, But it is compatible with any Nobel, Biomet 3i, Strauman, Neodent, Astra EV. All the other big ones. <laughs> yeah, all the, all the other big ones. I think even Megagen and Hyacin and some of the, and Keystone and Paltop. Yeah, you know. most of those share that same, what I always call the Nobel multi-unit i mean exactly they kind of exactly. started it and everyone copied it yeah because it is it is awesome like it i is. love yeah you know so the best way for people to find out more about you yeah we have a website smartnetricconversions.com easy enough yeah and there are all kinds of learning resources on that website we have a technique manual that shows you step by step how i do my conversion and like how to collect some records that are going to help you get through to the final restoration off of your provisional restoration. We have an animated video. Kimberly is my marketing specialist and she helps us put together all these video contents. She just finished video recording one of our one of our traveling trainers mm-hmm. showing our, our most recent and current technique that we recommend. So all of those things are available on YouTube and Facebook and on our website. So yeah, it's, we are very, very interested in making sure that people have a positive experience with smart digital conversions because it doesn't do us any good for people to not have a positive experience. Oh, absolutely. Again, I can say I've done it both ways and I don't ever want to go back. I really don't. (laughs) If I get booked for one and I find out it's not smart denture conversion, I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) <laughs> all right i guess yeah, it, yeah it's hard to go back it really is it's it's really great recommend any lab to look into it i mean it is an added expense but honestly i i see a way for labs to say hey buy this and i'll charge less for the conversion because it's taking four hours less of my time i think there's a balance there yeah yeah i, I do too but quite honestly the laboratories wouldn't even have to charge less for their time. It was, and the way I look at it is this. Yeah. I'm a prosthodontist. I have patients coming into me all the time and I might do something that takes me 30 minutes to finish. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're charging me all this and it only took you 30 minutes. To which I say, you're not paying me for my time. You're paying me for my expertise. So I have no problem with a laboratory holding the line and saying, listen, you're not, I'm not charging you for my time. I'm charging you for my expertise. There you go. And so you can have the the doctors 
you just teach them. You say, this is a better way to do this. This is now our standard of care. We can buy the components and charge you, or you can buy the components and we'll come in and do your chairside support. Technicians, you, you need to understand you are valuable to us clinicians. And don't be afraid to charge for your expertise. I love it. You're making it possible for the doctor to even do the treatment in the first place. So don't be afraid to charge for your expertise. Yeah. And I also see you have some like hands-on for lab technicians. So yeah, something to look into for people wanting to get into this. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're collaborating with the denture man, James Angeloni. To I saw that. You guys had a funny like wrestling ad. I loved it. I love James Angeloni. He's a good dude. He is a good dude. And we're <laughs> going to be getting together next Tuesday for a competition him versus me at Smart Denture Conversions. And, you know, I'm the developer and inventor of the system and he's going to beat me and he's going to yeah, walk away with, he's going <laughs> to walk away with the championship belt. Yeah, he will. That's hilarious. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate oh, uh, coming on and, and talking about this. This is fascinating and we encourage everyone to check it out. My pleasure. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. So thanks for having me today. Absolutely. We'll uh, talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Yep. Have a good one. You too. Bye. A huge thanks to Dr. Cofford for coming on the podcast and talking about the smart denture conversion. I admit to not knowing a lot about conversions other than what I have learned from others on this podcast. But a better way that is faster and produces a better result sounds like a win-win for everybody. So if you guys want to learn more about this amazing system, head over to smartdentureconversions.com to see the videos on how it's done and pick up a training kit if you're interested. And my partner Elvis says it's amazing and easy and makes everybody look good. So I think you should check it out. Anything that can make me look good. (laughs) (laughs) I think worth checking out. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. All right, everybody. That's all we got for you. We will talk to you next week. Bye. No, everything went down. The phones, the internet. No, it was down for at least an hour and a half, though. That's a shitty day at the lab.